Hey, Restorers, thanks for checking out a fresh episode of the Restoration Today podcast. Today, I'm excited to have a friendly face rejoining a friend from the industry, Alex Duda. He's the founder of Albiware. If you are here and you haven't heard of Albiware, I'm sorry, but you're probably living in a cave somewhere. So come join us out in the real world. And I'm excited to have Alex here because he is just I have to say one of the most driven people in the restoration industry, like the amount of energy that Alex has to pour into the industry and Albiware and his team and his family and all of that. It's like, I watch him from afar and go, I don't know how you do that. So give me some of that energy and those vibes. Um, So Alex, thank you very much for being here. I'm going to toss it over to you to have you introduce yourself, answer a little bit of background about Albiware as well for people who aren't familiar with Albi. Wow, Michelle, thanks so much for the intro. You do such a great job. I need some of your energy to start my podcast when I do podcasts because I'm always like, hey, welcome to the podcast. All right, tell me everything, Move Michelle. On. Yeah. Um, but yeah, nice to meet everybody. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Alex Duda, former restorer turned techie. Um, had uh, started early on my career straight out of high school within restoration. Um, spent some time with my father building this company called Romextera in the Chicago Line Market to a decent sized company found problem of tech within the space and decided, Hey, you know, that seems like a cool problem to solve. And then went on to found Albiware with uh, one of my best friends. And uh, we're currently one of the job management CRM softwares within the space. Um, and we're just trying to focus heavily on solving the real world problems of restorers. And uh, yeah, personally, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a son. Um, I'm all over the place. So all over the place. So you are in probably one of the most competitive spots of the restoration industry. There's a lot of technology out there and a lot of technology continuing to emerge. It seems like every trade show, there's a new company out there. So how have you managed to stay competitive and present in a market where there is so much competition all the time? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the number one thing we do is we just focus on our mission and we don't really pay attention to what goes outside of our mission. And if you'll start looking, every competitor has their own positioning and their own beliefs. Um, So here on Albi, we just want to build the best product for the restoration contractor. And we pride ourselves in building what's called a product muscle or an iterative process through which we're just building upon the building blocks of a product to make it easy to use for restorers. And we're 100% devoted to restoration contractors, no strings attached to other contractors or insurance carriers or anything like that. So um, that's how we differentiate. And it's kind of instilled within our DNA and investors have loved it. Contractors love it. Um, so we're, you know, pretty happy. Okay. So talking about investors, how many iterations of funding have you been through at this point? Like what round are you on and what's next? Yeah. So we've, uh, raised our series a earlier this year, we're going marching towards our series B, which is, uh, going to be quarter one, quarter two of next year. And for those that don't know, like all these series, basically, uh, tech startups have two options. They could be what's called bootstrapped, meaning they're self-funded by the owners themselves, Um, or they could choose to be venture backed. If they're venture backed, they go out to the markets and ask for capital in exchange for building this great idea. And the limitations of capital don't really exist. You can then go build what you need for your customers. And typically every round you have to solve a different problem. You have to check off different boxes. You have to grow at a specific rate to make investors happy. So we did a pre-seed round, which was our first round, which was basically me, my partner, some friends and family. Then we did a seed round, um, got into Y Combinator, which was this uh, incubator for tech startups. 
Um, after our seed round, we closed the $8 million Series A round, which was earlier this year. And now we um, have had great traction. We've proven that the restoration market deserves tech. And we're going to go in for our Series B round here, quarter one, quarter two of, uh, of 2024. So do you feel immense pressure when it comes to investors like this? Or do you have kind of like a high tolerance for, I think all business owners are different, right? And some have a higher tolerance for the risk and stuff like this and having to um, meet the expectations of the investors versus others would be like, I don't think I could live that life, which I think I'm probably more on that train. So I think I'm inspired by you watching your ability to keep pushing forward toward these goals. And do you have fear associated with this or worry, or you just know, like, your vision is so clear and your team is so solid that you know you're heading in the right direction or somewhere in the middle? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, one of my philosophies is abundance mindset versus scarcity yeah. mindset. Most people operate under scarcity mindset. There's only so much within this area or this space um, versus I believe that there's enough of everything everywhere. Um, so when it comes to investors, you know, obviously, yes, there's a lot of pressure. We're playing in the NFL here. We really have to deliver. We're taking some serious money here. But you know, without the capital, it's impossible to build product for restoration companies. Like it's, it's very hard to keep up with, with modern day technology. So we know it's needed. Um, and the whole team knows, Hey, this is hard, but it's a startup. This is where we're going. The vision is clear and expectations are higher than normal. It's not going to be your typical nine to five job. That's for sure. Uh, yep. but look at the impact you know, we're all driven by the impact by serving an industry that really didn't have capital in the industry before. Like restoration tech, other than a few people didn't really have capital because, you know, the capital markets didn't find restoration. Like if you ask a normal person what a restorer is or what they know of a restorer, they probably won't know what a restorer is. And they'll think, no. oh, it's only when hurricanes hit. So restoration never had a capital influx. In, in technology. So therefore it limited the restorer because certain job management systems didn't have the capital to invest into product and build all the things yeah. that, you know, um, other industries have like in tech, for example, having a CRM or a support system that has a phone and text capability is like, you need that. It's like a given right within tech within restoration. Like we still have like apps that are downloaded on your phone or onto your laptop that are rather outdated because there hasn't really been anybody to say, oh, I see the potential in restoration contractors. Okay, so going into that, how has being a restorer kind of in your past life helped your vision for what is needed on the software side for a contractor? I know that that is probably a very obvious answer, but I'm curious what you would say. I think tremendously in all aspects. I, I got during the six to... I think it was like about seven to eight years before I left from Xera to start Albi officially. Uh, during that time, I mean, I understood the industry in and out and I understood the pain points that restorers go through um, as opposed to just being in tech or being from outside of the industry. You don't understand that, you know, the dynamic of technicians, you don't understand the dynamic of getting paid. You don't understand the scaling points, right? Every single couple million dollars, it's almost like you have this ceiling that you have to bust through and it's very painful um, to go through. And I think what it did for me was make me understand the pain points of restorers. Um, and then, yeah, from there on, I could teach my staff members. I uh, now have the ability to take staff members, drop them into the restoration environment and mm -hmm. uh, make them understand. So we're very intimate to the space. 
How has it been recruiting people into LB? I know that your team is constantly growing. You're always looking for more people. Do you find that because you're more like tech startup space that you're able to attract kind of different people, different talent versus a more traditional company? I don't know what else to call it, but you get it. Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, I think tech has its benefits and a lot of people, probably there's more people that prefer an in-office tech job versus the trades. However, I think, you know, after the great resignation everywhere, it was very hard to find people. Um, And yeah, we just like restorers, we struggle finding great people. Um, That's kind of a given. And you have to do more than just put a job post up somewhere to find uh, a person. We are lucky and fortunate. We have a very diverse workforce. We have people from pretty much everywhere in different industries. We have restore restoration folk, ex restoration experts, and then we have ex tech gurus. Um, So it's been pretty cool. And kind of combining both minds is an awesome dynamic. Having the ex restorer who was a project manager, or Mike Brill, who's our success manager, he was a general manager of a large restoration company here in Chicago, and then combine him with Shamoil Sony, who was a Microsoft geek, right? And bringing them in the same room and having them basically talk about the pains of restorers, it's, it's super cool. So talk about the journey that you've kind of been on for more than a year now, I think at this point related to, I think, health and your energy and what you're able to put into your business and your family. Like how, what have you done over the last year to really probably more than that, to change um, your ability to be there for your business and be there for your family? What kind of impact has that had now? That's an awesome question. So (laughs) I guess straight out of, you know, even in high school, business, entrepreneurship, wealth was super high priority for me. I started, you know, selling t-shirts. I had a snow removal business while being in high school, Uh, did all kinds of stuff, DJing, videography, so on and so forth. Then this restoration company was just hustle, 16 hour days up in the middle of the night. Chicago's polar vortexes were awesome, right? And it was all about like wealth, 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 money, 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 build up your team, building legacy. And then I recall, I think it was 2019, no, it was 2020 or maybe 2021, one of the two, I was at an all-time high uh, teaching a class for restorers, sales boot camp. And my wife calls me up and she's like, hey, I have COVID. I tested positive for COVID. Come on home and isolate. I'm like, great. Did the class remotely. Didn't think anything of it. Um, eventually, I got COVID too. And it was an all-time high in our in the Albi career. We had yep. just gotten our first round of funding, everything. And I just pretty much got plopped up from regular life and thrown into this jail cell of a hospital. And I was in the hospital for three weeks. Frankly, nobody was sure if I would make it or not. I mean, I wasn't like intubated, but high oxygen, like uh, blood clots throughout my legs, could not move. And it was a long recovery period. And at that point, I realized there's more to life than just the wealth, right? Yep. And I was like, all right, I have to do something right? My wife was pregnant with my daughter at the time. Like I was like, okay, I can't, I can't miss out on these things. So I was like, okay, let's, let's figure out this whole health stuff. And I went on like a little bit of a health journey, went through 75 hard. And at first I was very like skeptical. I'm like, it's going to take away from business. I have to now, if I'm working, you know, 60 hours, 70 hours a week, I have to now take 10 hours a week of precious time from business and then go and focus it on my health to be able to accomplish this. And I wasn't super excited about it at first, But what I ended up happening was it kind of was integrated. The more I put into my personal journey, the more I put into my health, the healthier I ate, the more I exercised, the better I showed up both personally and professionally. 
And eventually I kind of distilled it down after, you know, reading a lot of books into, I think there's four pillars of life and all four need to be integrated. And the first one's wealth, I think is important as an entrepreneur, you want to, you know, build up wealth in the sense of leave legacy, build an empire. Yeah. Like that's typically what drives entrepreneurs. But the second one is health. There's no point to building an amazing business if you're going to die and drop dead one day from a heart attack or whatever, right? The third one was love. There's no point to build your business and then have your wife divorce you and, you know, then you go depressed and so on and so forth. And then the fourth one was spirituality. And that was kind of something I mastered within the past year, I would consider, but there was a whole religious conflict in my life, I would say, and kind of questioning, okay, what's the, the greater mm -hmm. meaning of all of this? Um, and eventually like whatever religion you are, even if you're not religious and you're spiritual, I think it's important to kind of identify the laws of spirituality that exist in the world, call it karma, call it do good, call it do something for the greater good, have something more important than, than just yourself. Um, and I think those four pillars need to be balanced. And we all think that we have to take from one to give to another, but once you master keeping all of those at like a hundred percent in all four aspects, it's like magical how your life just transforms. So. Yes. Okay. So give some more concrete examples of the business side of things. Like I know that you've been able to bring some of your fitness and health related stuff into business relationships that have been fruitful, right? Found different ways to connect. So share a little bit about that. I think I probably led you into it good enough and you know what I mean. So go for it. Of course. Yeah. So, you know, bar time with the bros or bar time with prospects turns into running time with the bros or going for a hike with prospects. Um, you know, instead of going out to eat with a really close coworker, come over to my house. We have food at home and it's healthily cooked. Right. Um, so all of these things you can, if you're intentional about it, you can kill two birds with one stone. I do something right now called get to know you within the company where anybody in the company can book time through my assistant on my calendar and they could, we could just go for, you know, whatever, let me get to meet, know you. And, um, those turn into walks, those turn into runs. Like the other day I ran with one of my coworkers, one of our sales development representatives and I just went and we ran for five miles. So you could integrate those things. Um, mm -hmm. and if you set yourself up for success, like I travel a lot. So anytime I travel, I get protein shipped, I get electrolytes shipped and stuff like that to my hotel. You can set these systems up to where it's all integrated. You don't have to not travel for business because you're going to eat unhealthy or travel less. You don't have to not put 110% of, uh, of effort into business to go take care of your health. Um, so I hope that that's kind of where you were going to. It is, yes, that's exactly where I was going to. And talk about how you, your productivity tools. I know that you're big on productivity as well. And that's something I think that in the digital modern age can be really difficult when your phone is constantly going off and you have notifi notifications going everywhere. How do you prioritize your time and figure out, especially as the leader of a growing organization, what you're putting your time and your energy into and what is going to have to wait? Absolutely. So I had, uh, we, we were actually clients of uh, Viola and Management Associates and Bill Prosh was one of our consultants early on at Romextera. And he's like, Alex, you're all over the freaking place. You need to take a time management class. I'm like, great. So I go on, I buy the time management class. I put it in my calendar and something else pops up and I don't show up. And at that point I realized, oh, oh, I have a problem with time management. Um, and 
kind of a couple years down the road, it didn't happen right away. I kind of adopted this mantra of life by design, not by default. So yeah. that means that I'm not going to let life take me or pull me in whatever direction life wants to pull me. I'm going to yeah. be intentional on how I design my life and how I take care of everything. So I adopted this thing called, well, a couple of different principles, but there's this book called Buy Back Your Time. One of my mentors, Dan Martell, wrote it. And it's the concept of hiring an executive assistant and planning your time and being intentional about your time. And everything goes on your calendar. So like my number one productivity tool is in my calendar. Everything is in my calendar. And not just business meetings, not just Zoom calls. In my calendar, I have my workout time. I have Sophia time dedicated to my calendar because your calendar is your visual representation of the most finite resource you have. And that is time. That is the only thing like money is abundant. Love is abundant. Everything else is abundant. The only thing that's man-made and there's only so much of is time. So you go into your calendar and you establish your perfect week and you grab all the ingredients that are important for you. And I should see on your calendar, love time, like time that you want to spend quality time with your significant other. If you have kids, you have a duty to your kids to be there for them. So I should see time for that. If you want to be healthy, I should see time for when you're eating, when you're meal prepping, when you're working out, right? Then the high level business stuff. I'm not going to go ahead and work on $10 tasks when I got to coach a team. So all of my one-on-ones with my team members, all of my coaching, that takes top priority, right? My rocks and my strategy time is in my calendar. And then whatever's left, those little gaps, if I want to go walk around and BS around with team members, I'll happily do it. If I want to let something else distract me, I'll happily do it. And then the other thing I'd use is um, do not disturb mode. So like my phone is always mm -hmm. on do not disturb. I do not allow Facebook, Twitter, anything distract me from what I'm doing. I'm 100% present at what is scheduled on there. And in my free time, if I want to go check and look for information on there, I can go there. But like the number one time killer, I think for most people is the fact that distractions come in. There's only yeah. a certain amount of people that can call me or text me and can disrupt me from what I'm doing. There's six of them. And aside from those six people, I really don't care, right? Like I will go there and check that when I have time because it's super easy to be very reactive and catch yourself with so-and-so said something and then it daisy chains to something else and then you never get what you intend to do. And then you live that life by default versus the life by de design. What percentage of the time are you on point with this blocking? Are you, is it like 90%? Is it, is it a hundred percent? Is that, I'm, I'm curious. And did it take some stamina to build up to, it had to, I think took some learning and some discipline. Maybe that's a better word to actually stick. Cause I think all of us have been through experiences where we blocked out our calendar. And then like you said, like, well, that was there, but I'm going to go do this mm -hmm. instead. And then it's all to hell. So yeah, I would say 90%-ish, even Abby, my executive assistant, knows that Alex still wants to feel like he could do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do. <laughs> so, you know, there are times where, you know, I'll purposefully ignore a task or two that's on the calendar because I also put tasks on the calendar, like sign this document or ah, that's not that important. I'm going to go for a walk. I like having that power. It's like a treat for me. But then what happens with that is it gets moved. So there's fluidity, but the things get moved. They never get deleted. So let's say I had a day from eight to five and then something came up. It's like, okay, great. I can't show up for that meeting at 12, but it doesn't just poof, disappear. It gets moved to another time slot of where it is. And it's important to have fluidity. It's important to, you know, be able to have the flexibility if something comes up, go, go tailor to it. The other thing we have is a system of like one, two, three. One is cancel everything or anything, this is top priority. So Lily, tell Abby, like if an investor or something, or let's say, I don't know, 
at Remex Zero, we had a workers' comp incident, an employee fell off a roof, right? Okay, that's a one, right? Drop everything and go. Two is yeah. like, yeah, within the next 24 to 48 hours, I can handle it. And then three is sometime it would be cool to do this. And then I have systems for like dumping stuff out of my head. So, ooh, this came up. I should meet up with Michelle in Vegas. Great. Let me just put that there. It's not really urgent. I don't need to worry about it right now, but I know it's put somewhere. So. Okay. Um, I'm trying to decide where I want to go next. Okay. So let's talk about how you've managed to, so in my mind, you not only work for a tech startup, you're also in restoration and those two together are like a recipe for burnout. 100%. Like restoration alone is a recipe for burnout. Now you've done two different things. So, but you do continue to find time for your family, for activities that you want to do, like being a pilot, those kind of things. How have you managed to navigate, um, navigate that space and make sure that you have time for your family and have time for hobbies and to develop yourself outside of Albi. I mean, I'm going to say the calendar thing helps the most, but yeah. being intentional and saying this is the recipe. So with my perfect week, right, I have three nights a week with my daughter and then one Saturday or Sunday with my daughter alone, just with her. So that way my wife, like that was based on my wife's needs for her to be able to go do her nails, go to the gym, whatever. Right. So you start with a blank canvas and you put the non-negotiables. So every single day and every single week has non-negotiables. I want yep. my wife to be happy. I know that even though she's a stay at home mom, she needs time to be able to do her thing. So I set those up. Right. I know that like working out every single day is important for me as a person. And I've seen the, the difference. So there is a daily non-negotiable of workout every single day. So when I created my perfect week, basically you have your calendar, but over to the left, you write down the non-negotiables. Meditation is a non-negotiable. Uh, spending time with my wife is non-negotiable. Date night. So every single Friday, we ended up picking that day. But every single week, once per week, we found it important for us to have one-on-one -on -one time or one-on-one -on -one with friends and have a date night. So yep. that was a non-negotiable. Um, and then, so working out, we talked about meditation. We talked about the coaching meetings with my team. Those are all non-negotiables. So I have 16 direct reports that report directly with me. They all get an hour and that's a non-negotiable. Um, my rock. So we implemented EOS. So every 90 days, every single manager and team member has a big thing to do. So there's two one hour and a half sessions every single week for that. And yeah, basically you write down everything you're going to do and then you fill it into the calendar. Um, and then there's very few available slots that then get booked in afterwards. The other thing I like doing is um, I believe in the integrated life. So anytime I can kill multiple birds with one stone, it's like a win for me. So, okay, running with a client. So I went to Contractors Connection. Um, I had a friend of mine who's a restorer. Hey, let's go for a run around uh, New Orleans. It wasn't the best idea ever. We ended up in some rough areas, but it did the trick. So instead hot. of exactly, and it was hot. But instead of uh, <laughs> instead of staying up late and drinking till two o'clock in the morning, we woke up at five o'clock in the morning, went for a run. Um, a lot of times, you know, my family comes with me on travel. So just because I'm mm -hmm. traveling doesn't mean I don't get my family time. So I packed them up. We fly together, we go wherever, and just kind of implementing those systems of saying, these are my non-negotiables. No matter what, these are the things that are important to me, and they have to happen every single day, every single week, X amount of times per month. So, so is personal development and leadership development one of your blocks? Because I think you like to read and like to grow yourself. Yes. So is that something that's strategically planned into your schedule? 
Yes. I mean, if we really want to, I can share my screen real quick. But yeah, so you can see my screen, right? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. wake up time is in my schedule every morning yep. when I wake up and eating and then my drives and then my workouts, wherever they are. And then my family time is in the calendar. Reading podcast creative time is in yep. my calendar. And then different meetings are color coded based on the different things. So, you know, whether I coach, recruit, strategic, uh, shining my light, this week was a pretty light week. Uh, fundraising, so on and so forth, flying. So this morning I went flying and I have that every single week in my calendar. And then when we go down here, there's Sophia time, there's date night, you know, here's a haircut, um, moving on, same thing. So everything, and then the white spaces are the ones that I have to fill. Very little white spaces um, and everything else is pretty intentional. Did it take some time to build up um, getting used to seeing your calendar that full, even though it's really not full. To me, I would have, I could tell that, like, because I do similar blocking to you, mm -hmm. but I like it when there's the white space, mm -hmm. <laughs> even though I need to block it off better. I, I Anyway, did that take some um, reframing in your mind originally to realize that all the time that's blocked off doesn't actually mean you're busy in that moment? Mm, or you just got used to it? Not really. I got used to it. So the way I think about it is it, everything I do has to like light me up in some sort of way. And just because it's booked doesn't mean it's something bad. Like it's something that I enjoy doing because if you don't have it booked, then you have to think about what you're going to do. And that's when you kind of get yourself distracted. So I'm like borderline ADHD. So if I have time to sit around and I don't have something coming up next, that's when the squirrels come up. And yeah. yes, you need creative time, right? So you just block yeah. off creative time within your calendar and then you know, okay, you're, you're going to do that. And, and James Clear's Atomic Habits, they even talk about anchoring to different areas. So creative time happens in this armchair in your living room, right? Eating happens at the dining room table. Playing with Sophia happens in her playpen. So that way your brain like then becomes wired and it, it becomes easy. You don't have to think about things. You don't have to think about when I'm eating or, oh, do I even have time yeah. to eat today? It's in, it's in there. So oh, the swirls come out. That's when the swirls come out. That was yeah. Yeah. great phrase. <laughs> I think yeah. any entrepreneur can uh, relate to that. The swirls come out and it's like, oh, shiny things. That's a good idea. Um, okay. So before we wrap it up, share some of your favorite leadership resources. You've shared a few throughout this, but share your top favorites. Hmm. So I think the most underused thing within restoration is coaches, mentorship groups, mastermind groups. I mean, I, I think that every problem you have is a who problem, not a how problem. So I have a nutritionist, I have a personal trainer, I have a person in every single specific department I could rely on that's a mentor to me. So when it comes to fundraising, I've got, you know, actually four different people I can go to for fundraising. Uh, I'm in various mastermind groups, right? finding somebody who's already done something and paying them. And it, it will cost a lot. Like there's some that I've paid a hundred thousand dollars in a year for, but paying them to give you the answer of how they did it will save you an enormous amount of time and pain and pressure and so on and so forth. So the number one thing I don't see within restoration is I don't see restorers belonging to mastermind groups. I don't see restorers creating mastermind groups, hiring coaches. I don't see the little guy hiring the big guy who's already gone to $40 million a year and said, Hey, look, you're in a different market, whatever. Teach me. Right. 
And that's like the most powerful um, leadership resource in general. Um, and even the top coaches of the world, like it just keeps going up. So like my, one of my mentors is Dan Martell and one of his coaches is Ed Milet. So he basically pays Ed Milet to teach him. And then he then pours into us. And then I'm actually a coach also and a mentor also. So then I go pass it down and it just keeps passing down. Um, the second thing is reading books. I mean, books are the most amazing yeah. thing in the world because there's somebody's knowledge. They fought with something for eight to 10 to 12 to 15 to decades Right. And then they distilled it down to something you could read in like six hours. Right. Yeah. And every single book, like you could literally walk away from business self-help books, not necessarily fantasy books, but business self-help books, you read from them and then you could implement right away. Um, mm -hmm. So that's another thing. And then podcasts, you know, a lot of people, there's, there's obviously all kinds of influencers out there and some of them are well-intended. Some of them are not well-intended, but uh, a lot of times I, I feel like restorers are hesitant. Oh, Grant Cardone is like the rah-rah guy, for example, which I didn't really like Grant at first until I started reading his stuff. And within every single influencer, every single rah-rah thing that you might be shying away from, if you go from it, like, what can I learn from it? It's it's super powerful. Um, and 80% of business is mental. It's you. Restorers mm -hmm. in this industry have a lot of technical knowledge a ton. We have IACRC, we have RIA, all of this. We lack the mindset. And I think that's why yeah. the average restorer does only $2 million a year and can't break through that ceiling. So um, yeah, breaking your mindset, breaking your beliefs, breaking through all of that is I think the most important thing that all leaders within restoration need to do stat. Stats. I love it. Okay, Alex. Well, thank you for all of your wisdom and all your insight. And I, I appreciate how authentic you've been in this conversation and you've shared a lot of like personal stuff and tidbits. So I appreciate that. Is there anything else that you want to add before we wrap it up? Hmm. I mean, I do have two things actually. So yeah. one is uh, I talked about books. I am releasing a book. I'll give you more information and a copy, yeah. but basically I'm, I'm in the process of uh, publishing a book. It should be by the end of the year, it should be done. It's called Restoration Millionaire was what the title of a bunch of people picked. Um, and basically it's the journey of how to scale your restoration company. And then two, we do have an event coming up. We're launching this thing called Evolve, which is a, a, a mindset spin within the restoration industry. So it's going to be a mini summit all focused around mindset. Uh, we have a couple speakers that are going to come, including somebody who was homeless once and then grew and scaled his business and sold to private equity for a high multiple. Um, and that's going to be in January in Chicago. So I'll give you more information um, for you to put in the link below about those two things. And then as always, follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of those. I just, um, I record everything I do and I pour it back into the world. I'm not really monetizing it. I just do it because, you know, spirituality, you give into the world and eventually yeah. it might come back. So um, yeah. Perfect. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate having you here and I look forward to seeing you at some events, if not for the rest of this year, but it for sure in 2024, because event season takes off right at the beginning. hundred percent. Thanks so much, Michelle. Appreciate you. For more restoration today and the latest news, visit our website, cnrmagazine.com and find the latest episodes of the Restoration Today podcast on your favorite podcasting platform.